0: He kōna i e pūrangi natereo nā irirangi o Aotearoa.
1: And we're in the extra time! Kia ora, to lo lava, bula vinaka, malo e lele, and welcome to Extra Time. I'm Joe Porter. It's a big weekend for Māori and Pacific Rugby, with the Māori All Blacks playing Moana Pacifica in Hamilton on Saturday night. The match essentially heralds Moana Pacifica's emergence as a super rugby side, for they, along with a Fiji-based team, are set to join the super rugby competition from 2022. But there's an ongoing battle over just who should get the franchise licences for those new super rugby sides. Kanaloa Pacifica has begun legal action against against New Zealand rugby, claiming it breached its own rules by giving Auckland-based Moana Pacifica the go-ahead to join the revamped competition when it didn't take part in the formal tender process. Those claims have been strongly refuted by NZR. Moana Pacifica is backed by the likes of former All Blacks Sir Brian Williams and Sir Michael Jones, while Kanaloa is backed by former All Blacks Jerome Kaino and Joe Orokothoko. We also hear from New Zealand squash star Joelle King, who's decided to stay in the UK just in case any tournaments pop up with next year's international squash schedule up in the air, and has had to undergo a barrage of COVID testing. I'm joined this week by Pacific rugby players chief executive Aiden Clark, the Samoa women's coach Ramsey Tomokino and RNZ sports writer Hamish Bidwell. Firstly, this weekend's game and what it signifies. A Pacifica team has been a long time coming, and while this is only a one-off game, hopefully it signifies the start of a new era of growth and development in Samoa, Tonga and Fiji rugby. Aidan, let's start with you, and this is a beginning, but what needs to happen next to, I guess, continue the growth and and really give back to the Pacific Islands? Uh, It's been a long time coming, so what needs to happen next to really make sure that this isn't a lost opportunity?
2: Yeah, well, I guess... Saturday is a significant moment it's it 's the start line um, an opportunity for uh, combined Pacific island team to be on the big stage but there 's a lot of work to go over the next year um, to try and get both uh, Fiji and wine Pacifica um, into a ready state um, to make sure they not only turn up but perform at the highest level. Uh, make no bones about it. Um, this has been a long time coming and uh, It's actually quite emotional when the the team runs out on on Saturday because um, not only the Moana Pacifica organization, but uh, the wider Pacific Island community, uh, Fiji rugby, uh, Tonga rugby, Samoa rugby have been um, working towards this um, along a number of other stakeholders for a long, long time. So, So this is a great step.
1: Aiden, are you happy with Moana Pacifica and the Fiji Drua coming in in 2022 and the processes around that? Kuna Law obviously a little aggrieved, but are you happy with how everything's panned out?
2: We're happy that um, we're now having discussions around two teams. Um, we're at one stage. Mm, we're mm. talking about zero teams. So for us, uh, we've been really... Uh, transparent around our process as a players' association and representing the players um, through, um, I guess, the bid process. For us, it's just about being at the start line now and working with whoever is there. And these two organisations are there, um, which we haven't been privy to the process leading up to it. But there's a lot of hard work to go in. So, yeah, we're very happy. And this means more opportunity for Pacific Island players, uh, more opportunity to put back into the game, which the world owes them. uh, And and just an opportunity for uh, the influence of Pacific Island uh, rugby to be felt again in another platform across the world.
1: And, Ramsey, you obviously coach the Samoa women's team and have been involved in Samoan rugby for a long time in many different roles. Having two super rugby teams, one in, from Fiji and Moana Pacifica, in the competition, does that keep the Pacific's best talent in the region? Or do you think lots of players will still go to the UK and France?
3: Oh, <clears throat> look... Um, I believe that it would keep the best players in the region. Um, you know, specific Pacific Islanders we love being around family, we love being around our people and you know, and, and if they can obviously we might not make the same money that they make in the up in the UK, etc, but there, it's a significant amount that would probably keep them here, which is you know, they're only a couple of hours off, so three or four hours away from being able to be at home, um, you know, based in the region then obviously um it will just get better and um you know the their development tool will happen. Um you know we often see that uh when we get our players back from the UK um I'm speaking from some perspective as well, but I'm sure the same happens across um Tonga and, and Fiji that uh, when they come together globally, uh, you know, it's from all over, all parts of the they normally aren't at their best. Um, for whatever reason and but if I take the Samoa example, um, a lot of our players are impact players, so they're not full, full eighty-minute players. And um, so when they come into where we want them to perform at full eighty minutes, and obviously it's a different game up there, um, you know we don't often don't quite get it right. But and obviously playing in the Southern Hemisphere and in a competition as tough as Super um, would certainly be a good grounding for all our teams. And um, yeah, I think the players would. You know, we're just already hearing that um, players would definitely be keen to come back or stay within the region, um, and that's you know some of the some of the Fijian players we're hearing about as well. So, you know, I think it'd be a, um, a fantastic opportunity that uh, you know we've got this opportunity to one get better and keep our players in the region, so we're not losing players because as we know also we do lose players in the UK the last recent World Cup as an example. We had players that were had to choose contract over country, so even though no one's actually come out and officially said it, we do know that that happens in um, behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so I think yeah, it's, it can only all go well for the game, it'll benefit the region, it'll benefit New Zealand, Australia, and you know, and, and basically the Oceania region.
1: Absolutely. And Hamish, what are your thoughts on having two Pacifica Super Rugby teams and how that will relate to the improved performances or potential improved performances of the Samoa, Tonga and Fiji unions? Do you think that that directly translates or are you sceptical?
4: Oh, look, I remain to be convinced about some of the stuff. I like it in theory, right? But let's look at the Pacifica team. All the NZR contracted players, coaches are NZR people. I seem to be corrected, but it's been funded by NZR. Do you know what I mean? Like... People say it's overdue or it should be in 2021, not 2022, and that's cool in the gang, but who's paying for that? NZR throws them what we're paying for that. So they've had to manoeuvre. They've had to take resources out of their own teams to, to get this game off the ground, and then going forward, they'll have to do that. I mean, as, as it develops, will Fijian players stop going to France straight out of school and stay in Fiji and maybe play super rugby? Who knows? Will um, private backers actually support 100% um to Pacifica and stop cannibalising New Zealand rugby? Maybe. Do you know what I mean? Like, and I just one thing I'd like to clear up, and I could be wrong about this too, but my understanding from talking to people was that as far as Kaino and Rokasoko went with the Hawaiian bid, someone rang them up and said, hey man, can you say a couple of kind words in support of this idea? And they said, yeah, that's awesome. And we, we keep saying that they're backing it as if they're like they bankrolling it to the tune of hundreds of thousands of dollars or lobbying and knocking on doors and campaigning really strongly on behalf of this thing. And I'm my understanding. And again, I could be wrong about that. That was my understanding at the time. So I... I like the theory of these things, but I'm yet to see how it's developed from more than New Zealand rugby, basically still paying for everything.
2: Hey, it's just a challenge, a couple of things there. Um, I think you're spot on actually around possibly this this one-off game on Saturday, but I think you have to treat it in silo. Um, This game's about um, providing an opportunity for New Zealand Māori, um, and they had to have a game. Uh, this year so having the wine pacifica team um, play that team was is very much um, about opportunity for both but that's probably why there's the you know there's a lot of funding and also um, obviously with restrictions around travel um, means that a lot of those players had to be picked on within this country but we are having discussions now you know and, and that's why i talk about being at the start line over the next year uh late yesterday you know joe Smith in his new high performance role uh, and peter horn we're having zooms around what how, to, how does this team potentially slot into both teams slot into the high performance pathways so that Fiji Tonga and Samoa are better at Rugby World Cups you're being on um, it, it needs to um, make sure that there is actual benefit around um, changing some of the problems that have happened across not just Pacific Island but Tier 2 rugby but there's got to be a bit of work over the next 12 months to make sure we do that and, and that's the main challenge And
4: those so We all teams, support that right? Uh, we want those teams to be to, to be good at World Cups You know, we're tired of watching a multicultural Japan team be the darlings of the tournament, and it should be Samoa, Tonga or Fiji, right? We'd like to see that happen. But has to, to some happen. degree, those host unions are not very well organised and they're not always the most transparent and they need to be better themselves. They get quite a lot of money from world rugby and I, I'm not sure where it goes at times and I don't know how, I guess New Zealand rugby have benefited enormously from those nations, but is it New Zealand rugby's responsibility to then make sure that those international teams are strong? I'm not sure it is. Oh, I'm diving down a big hole there. So to, yeah, look. Um, <laughs> if, I mean, if I can, if
3: I can, if I can, if I can chime in. Look, um, as a Pacific Islander, we we are blessed with the opportunity to be able to, you know, our parents have come here. We can represent New Zealand, or we can represent the nation of where they're born. Um, where, what what it does? The opportunity is if this team comes off the ground and it. And In the future, it won't be New Zealand Rugby funded, and as just to support what Aidan said, there was a game that was for the Māori All Blacks that we put on, and so the request was out there for us to to come in and because um, my other hat is on the manager of the Wanda Pacifica team. So, um, but it's just an opportunity that some of our players who realise they're not going to make the black jersey get an opportunity to you know possibly put on a Samoa Tonga or Fiji jersey, and if we if we're playing in a stronger competition players will stay and we'll just get better and better and it can only be better for World Cup um, moving forward in an international game so I, I take what you're saying I agree seeing to you know multicultural Japan um, and look also from some perspective we certainly do our best um, and I can tell you that you know we still we still have hangovers from past governance issues and they were issues of the past but I can assure you that those are definitely things of the past now. We've got it together. We've just got to get the players now yeah, playing at a really good level to make us more competitive
4: on this international scene. And,
1: and Hamish, you, you must Premier remember. The
4: League be outstanding, right? And we've seen people like Adi Savia, whether he meant it like for real or not, talk about potentially playing Rugby League for Samoa to honour his his family. And that if there was a professional pathway, if we guys with dual nationality or dual choices were able to go with their nation of heritage. That would be fantastic for world rugby, and I think we all want to see that. We all yearn to see that, but it's just about creating the pathways. And to, to go back to your original question, Joe, like if this can be a vehicle for that, if we can see more players who have the option of playing for their nation of heritage go down that path and world rugby will benefit and we'll all be better for it because I just think this idea that those nations can be forgotten about and their best products can go to professional clubs or they can come to New Zealand, that's sad for rugby. We'd all like to see those nations be as strong as they possibly could be.
1: Absolutely. There's nothing better than, you know, a story of a Pacific Island team beating against all odds and going further at the, at the World Cup. It's fantastic. We all loved Fiji last time round in Japan, and of course we've had others before. But what I would like to know is what Moana Pacifica would need to do to, I guess, make sure that Samoa and Tonga in particular reap rewards from their program. How do they link directly with that union um, to, I guess, continue to promote the international game as well as looking after their own patch?
3: Yeah, there's there's lots of discussions going on at the moment Um, and I think what we're really focused on is um, there's a steering committee that are really driving a model that's going to try and be sustainable so that it is funded It's by Pacific, for Pacific teams or for Pacific players. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's... And and the the key also is that uh, the elite or the academy players that are... Um, Tonga, Samoa, and even potentially Fiji can filter into, um, into the minor Pacifica so you know, you've got an under-20s level, you've got a development level, so it's all geared up that we are um, providing that sustainable competition, starting from the 20s level, coming through into the senior level uh, with a view to building what's on Pacific and also integrating with what's in New Zealand and Australia also.
1: Hamish, on a a simple level, at the moment, I believe, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, Super Rugby franchises, the five New Zealand clubs, are allowed two non-New Zealand international eligible players per squad. So that's only two, what 10 across the five New Zealand franchises. Now, I'm assuming that the Moana Pacifica side and Fiji Drill have no such restrictions. They'll be able to select people who are available for any country um, and already ineligible to play for New Zealand. Would you like then to, to see New Zealand sort of end up loosen those rules? Do you think that would be another way to perhaps keep more of the talented Pacific Island players in the region and therefore more readily available to play for their international sides?
4: Well, look, if I was being completely honest, what I would like to see, because I understand that going to Japan and Europe provides an impediment to all-black selection, I'd like to see guys be able to play for any team within the Sansa competitions. You know what I mean? I think that would be the best way forward, not just yes. based on race or anything, but actually like, hey, let's let's make it professional. They're still in our competition. We're still on our pathways. They're just playing for that team over there for a few months. That would be my way forward, to be honest. Mm. The key thing here, I mean, is this eligibility discussion is not about the
2: All Black. It, it, it's not about what benefits It, it has to be what yes. benefits for the Pacific Island. So. I can tell you that these discussions are going on now. There is every intention that we will see 80 or 90% of the squad makeup for Moana Pacifica um, eligible for Fiji, Tonga, and Samoa selection. Um, there, there's going to be a need for marquee players, there's going to be an opportunity for um, the odd New Zealand based player, especially in critical um, positions. But um, we, are, this is the key now in terms of the work that goes on. So, Chris Lindrum, Jeremy Carr who's leading, leading this project for both teams over the next year, um, ourselves as a players' association, World Rugby are all at that table, working through the detail of what that will look like now. And I can tell you, the intention is that it's it's about enabling and uplifting the Pacific Islands, not about. New Zealand rugby,
1: and Ramsey, as manager of of minor Pacifica this week, you've had, I guess, your first week together, so to speak. What's the experience been like? Has it sort of lived up to your expectations, and and how have the players embraced it? And of course, embracing the three Pacific cultures, has it has it sort of been all you'd hoped it would be?
3: Oh, absolutely, and some, and it's just it's just it's the way it's seamlessly come together. It's um you know we're as one. I know uh, speaking to some of the boys that are involved in past teams, um you know they had people come in and you know. Do this way, do that way, but this has been player-driven as well in terms of how they want. Um, as an example for the hacker, uh, they have designed what they want to do. Um, but you know, it's, it's it's been awesome. They've integrated really well, and um, honestly, you, you just walk in, and you know, they're mixing. You know, there's no there's no groups. There's no Fijians on their own. Tongans on their own. Um, you know, when I picked the boys up from dinner last night. You know, I'm sitting in the van and going. I'm sitting there and thinking to myself. Well, this is not normally a um, Know, it's sort sort of an odd sort of mix of players that you probably would not normally get. Um but just so what I'm saying is that they've actually bought into the whole idea and we're as one and you know, we've had a big culture culture week around the significance of this team and coming together and um, and being able to play the Māori All Blacks. So it's uh, yeah, it's been outstanding.
1: That's also got to be another huge or bonus or element of it as well. If you were, you know, you, you do have your two Pacifica Super Rugby sides, and of course, you get to help some of these players who haven't necessarily been as connected as, as they would have liked to have been with their culture to reconnect and, and grow personally and have some personal growth and discovery as well. Just like the Maori All Blacks do when they come into camp.
3: Yeah, it's exactly the same. Like we've got guys that are, you know, they they talked about themselves being plastic tong or plastic Salmon, whatever, and we certainly said to them, look, you're not plastic, you're here. It's a safe space, you're here to learn, you're here to understand about your culture. Um, and so the boys are embracing it, are loving it. And um, from our first Ava ceremony on Monday, which was something very unique, where you had three combined Ava ceremonies in one, and it was the significance of coming to one was having the Tamon Ava with the Fijian Kaver and the Tongan Kaver all poured into one bowl to symbolise that we're all one as Pacifica.
1: Excellent. Hey, thank you very, very much for that. And and of course, those sort of elements or that highlights the stuff that's outside of rugby that is so incredibly important about this team. If we put the rugby aside for a minute, there's more human elements, of course, that are involved that are quite important. So, uh,
3: just just for me, just to, just to, again my own, my own personal opinion, and I've taken on board what Hamish has said. Also, that I, I do think that that rule does, um, does uh, limit Pacifica inclusion in super. But I'd like to see that if we want a Pacifica team, if we did get over the line in 2022, that whoever's in our team is open for selection for, for All Blacks or whoever. like it's not just, we're not saying you have to be in this team to play for uh, Sangwotong or Fiji. Even though that would be the ideal, um, we don't want to you know limit ourselves as well. And um, so we want to, well, that's just, again, my own personal opinion.
1: Thank you, Hamish. Thank you, Ramsey, and thank you very much, Aiden, for joining me today. And uh, yeah, ho- hopefully this game goes well, and we can. Who are you guys picking to win,
2: mate? I'll tell you what. It's, it's, it's very strange for me as a Māori New Zealander to wholeheartedly hope. What I actually think, if I, if I was able to bet, that um, you should put your money on the Pacific Islands
1: then. <laughs> awesome, sure. awesome. Hamish, yeah, I'm going the same
3: way. Absolutely, excellent. If, uh, if, if, if anything, there's the go by by the learnings that we've learnt this week in our cultural pieces is that what's come very clear through the Tongan and Samoan Fijian elders that we've listened to is that the Māoris are our younger brother and we need to go give our deal to our younger brother in the backyard.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. I love the analogy. And you're listening to Extra Time. The New Zealand squash number one Joelle King has probably had more COVID tests than matches on court in the last couple of months as she copes with another lockdown in Britain. The World number 8 decided to stay in the UK with the hope of tournaments taking place rather than returning home and having to go through quarantine protocols. A last-minute event has been organised for Egypt for next week, but other than that, there are no professional tournaments on the horizon. King has been able to get some trainings in thanks to a special arrangement with British Squash, but she concedes COVID-19 testing has become a major part of her life.
0: Oh my gosh, I've had so many. I think I'm definitely like getting close to probably... 40, I would say, since the season has started. We have per tournament you're having, if you're making it quite far through the event, you know, you have one before you enter, one the day you enter, the next one three days in, another one three more days. So, and then to fly home and then when you go to another tournament. So you're you're constantly having um, COVID tests. So I'd say I'm a bit of a pro now at COVID testing. But then obviously the other problem is that, you know, if you um, if you have been not necessarily in contact with someone, but obviously when you've got training groups and you're you're in clubs and things, if, some, if there's someone who has tested positive, you have to go and get tested as well to make sure that you don't have it. So not just the tournament side of things, but just life in general here. If someone tests positive that you you've been in contact with or been in contact with someone who's been in contact with them, you have to go and have another test. So, there's, there's been quite a few tests, I can tell you.
4: What might happen next year, do you think, as far as the calendar is concerned?
0: Well, you know, I think we've kind of become, I, th- I guess most athletes have kind of become used to just going with the flow now, and I think whatever happens is going to happen. But there's been obviously a bit of sad news, like a couple of cancellations in the States with the tournaments there. It's just it's just too bad there. So they've sort of made the early call to to pull the pin on a couple of tournaments there. But I think, you know, Egypt is, there's a few tournaments that are being talked about at the moment um, in, in different places. So, it, yeah, I think we just see, see what happens. But um, I think everyone's just, as I say, got used to being quite flexible and kind of expect that, you know, in two weeks they could tell us in two weeks after that, you've got a tournament. So it's just been as well prepared as you can be. And, and, um, you know, even if that's not the ideal situation, I think we're all just grateful to be having any events at this
1: time. That's Joelle King talking to Barry Guy. That brings us to the end of Extra Time. My thanks to Aidan Clark, Ramsey Tomokino and Hamish Bidwell. Extra Time is available every Friday from about 4pm. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Radio Public, iHeartRadio and of course at rnz.co.nz. Give us a rating if you would, that helps a whole lot and means other listeners can find us much more easily. I'm Joe Porter. Ka kite anō.